in the first service, but aren't we blessed to have Drew, who does such a phenomenal job picking songs for us. We already, he already told the story. We can just kind of pack up and go home at this point. But uh, so we are coming today, continuing through the Gospel of Mark in chapter 5, uh, specifically verses 21 through 24. Um, so go ahead and turn there. But if you do not have a Bible with you, go ahead and raise your hands. Uh, one of our church members will bring you one. Uh, it is on page 789 of that Bible. You can turn there with us. So as a church, as we said, we are going through, trudging through the gospel of Mark, and we have been opening our eyes, our hearts, at least God has, to the kingdom-building ministry of Christ. Now, at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says something very pointed, very specific, uh, that kind of sets the tone for his ministry. He says, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, Jesus, ever since that statement, has been on the move to establish his ministry, confronting the brokenness of all other kingdoms in the world, and that through him, himself specifically, is proving, in fact, how the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if you remember last week, Brandon uh, walked us through a passage, um, what many believe to be um, next to the cross, Jesus' greatest earthly spiritual battle. Jesus encountered a man uh, in Gerasenes, ravaged by potentially thousands of demons, taking Jesus' command, his authority over spiritual forces to an entirety, entirely new level that we haven't seen yet. So our t today, though, our text really doesn't seem to um, address these epic spiritual battles, uh, miracles of undeniable power. In fact, really the focus of this passage isn't even on Jesus that much. He doesn't even speak. Um, our text today, today, though, happens to be about a father, a father by the name of Jairus. And Jairus is a desperate father, a desperate dad in, uh, with a desperate need. And he sees Jesus as the man who can help him. Now, there's only four verses here, and, but I do believe these four verses expose to us the, the effects of the broken kingdom of man. You can see the theme of the songs that we've, that we've sung together, prayed together, this brokenness, this broken kingdom that we all live in the midst of. So let's go ahead and we're going to read our text, and, and, and then, then we're going to pray. But, but then after that, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go pretty far back in time. And we're going we're to discover the, the biblical theology of what gets us and what got us to this point in history, this point of this father, Jairus. So again, in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, our text reads, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, Jesus, went with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today. Father, I pray with humble, open hearts, Father, understanding, Lord, the depth of our depravity, the depth of the brokenness 
of this world that surround us and I, surrounds us. And I pray, Father, that our hearts, Father, by singing together, praying together, Lord, reading your word together, that our hearts are primed to hear what you have to say. I pray that we would be saints equipped for the work of ministry. Father, not coming here, Father, to be entertained, but coming here to go out into the world and display the glory of God as you have transformed our hearts this morning. Father, we praise you and love you and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So for the parents in this room, it might not be really too far of a leap to really understand the gravity that this father, Jairus, may be feeling. Um, you see, Jairus was a, was a ruler of the synagogue, as we hear. Um, probably likely well-respected, probably a hard worker, probably uh, not much less than a go-to guy in the community. Now, clearly he has a problem. We know why he's coming to Jesus. We know he can't fix it. None of us could, and he's in pain. You know, we can probably right now, even without preaching this passage, really understand and even walk away with the depths of depravity, the desperate need that this man is feeling. But the question is, why is this happening to Jairus? Why is this so painful? Why is this happening at all? You see, the death of children, the death of a child, can probably be very much one of our world's most devastating tragedies. See, um, we're going to go all the way back, all the way back to the very beginning, and I think it's important for us to see the connections to bring us to this point, to bring us to this point in Jairus' history, because the very first parents, Adam and Eve, um, they had been in paradise with God, destined to live forever, right? They, but, they, but they failed to uphold one of the most fundamental requirements of this, this way of existing within the kingdom of God that God had built for them. They were the first parents. But they disobeyed God. They sinned. And they see the effects of sin. Now, witnessing no longer the perfect kingdom of God, but now, instead, the broken kingdom of man. Like this father today, seeing sin and death, separation from God, that caused such brokenness land right on their children. But listen here, because after all of this transpired, after Adam and Eve, as we know the story, rejected the kingdom of God, to establish their own kingdom, God addressed the serpent. But in addressing the serpent, as he curses him, he indirectly makes a promise. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and, your, and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You see, God makes it sound like Eve would have a son that would somehow fix everything that they the, and the serpent had broken. In the very next chapter, in Genesis 4, 1 and 2, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now listen to what Eve says, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was the worker of the ground. See, as Eve saw it, she had gotten the man. 
The one that she had been promised that would defeat evil. Cain would crush the head of the serpent. But we find this, if you know the story, sadly not to be the case. Cain, the first offspring of Adam and Eve in a fit of jealousy, would kill his brother, Abel. You see, Adam and Eve were not only the first parents to sin, they were also the first parents to experience the loss of a child their son Abel, and probably equally equally as painful to fall at the hands of their other son. Adam and Eve no doubt felt the burden of having once walked with God in, in perfect harmony. And if we can imagine the very particular guilt that they must have felt watching the impact of their decision land right on their children, knowing that they shouldn't be experiencing sin. They, they should never be sick. They should never be dying. They should be walking and playing and running in paradise with God. But Abel was dead. Cain would wander into exile, but you see, all hope was not lost, right? Because Eve could have more children. Later in Genesis chapter 4, and it says, Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son. And she called his name Seth. And she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed, killed him. You see, if Cain wasn't the, the offspring or Abel, Seth, Seth was the answer. The Lord came through this time, just like He said. But in the very next chapter, we see that when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. You see, Eve along with Adam, I'm sure we're hoping that Seth was the one, but literally Genesis chapter 5, if you studied, was written to prove that death, the effect of sin was very much still present. Generation after generation of men and women and children would die. Lord, isn't, it's not working. You made a promise and nothing is happening. Throughout the rest of the Bible, we would see the, the painful, bewildering effects of sin cause death and destruction in every man, woman, and child. So hopefully you see at this point how, how we got to this point in history. How we got to this interaction between Jairus and Jesus. See, Jairus' father, a father thousands of years later, he seems to be sharing the very same hurts, the very same bewilderment as the first parent. Sin and death is still running rampant and at, like Adam and Eve are part of a broken system, a broken kingdom, and needs desperately for it to be fixed. Just read our text again with me. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. 
Now, Jairus is an important man. He's a ruler of the synagogue. And without regard for position, status, or honor, throws himself at the feet of Jesus because his 12-year-old little girl is dying. Friends, he lives in a world where the firstborn brother killed his firstborn sibling and 12-year-old little girls die, which brings us to our first truth. Man's kingdom is a kingdom where children die. Now, thus far in this book, we've seen really nothing short of a very salty opinion of Jesus coming right from the Jewish leadership. They've accused him of nothing less than conspiring with Satan. Jesus seems to have have shown himself little to no regard for their customs of cleanliness, associating with tax collectors, touching the leprous, going to foreign Gentile lands, and the list goes on. And Jesus now comes back to Capernaum from Gerasenes after casting the demons out of a man. Not long after this, he gets out of the boat, as we've already read. And, And maybe instantly, we don't know for sure, but this crowd seems to form because Jesus' fame seems to have only continued to spread in his absence. Now, we don't know really exactly why, or excuse me, when, or in what fashion, because um, we can only really speculate here, but, but beside the sea, where we get the impression everyone was trying to get to Jesus for some particular reason, and, and, and somehow we see one particular man, Jairus, makes his way directly to Christ. Now, did he fight his way? Did he get there before everybody else got there? Or maybe it was because of who he was, a path just clears. You see, synagogue rulers, as, we, as we've looked at a little bit, is that we're, they, they looked after affairs within the synagogue because they organized readings and services. They were trusted men. They were men of influence. It's not easy to deduce that. This ruler, likely the go-to guy this time, had a problem that even he couldn't fix. More than likely, used to being the leader, a problem solver, solver, had looked into the eyes of this little girl who was sick and there was nothing that he could do. Listen to the desperation in his voice. He says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Parents, our friends, our, excuse me, our kids rely on us for everything, including their, just their very survival. As Jairus says, his little daughter is at the point of death and, and she trusted him for everything likely probably even cried out to her daddy for help. And all it sadly seems that Jairus could do was watch her life just slip away. A few years ago, I had a deacon at our church. Uh, His name was Jerry. Uh, Jerry had had a massive heart attack. And he was in his 70s, but the heart attack, excuse me, had done so much damage that there was really nothing they could do for him. All they could really do was just send him home. And they gave him about a month to live. Um, now, what was odd is that Jerry could pretty much kind of go on doing the same things he did before. He still came to church. He and I had conversations uh, about the Lord. Um, I actually had to stay the night in the hospital uh, myself during that little stint. And guess who came to visit me in the hospital? Um, Jerry did. And um, eventually he passed away. And... Um, I did his funeral. I got the chance to preach from his favorite passage, and 
I remember being so excited uh, for that sermon, so excited for the honor that I got the chance to show Christ and, and Jerry, and, and, and I was saying to myself, Lord, you're going to save people. People are going to be lifted up before you. But before I get up to preach, his son, J.R., does a brief eulogy and starts that off by saying, this is a nightmare. A nightmare that his father would die in his 70s. So early. You see, after the pain that he conveyed to all of us, I remember getting up there and starting off my sermon very differently than I had planned. Because I had to agree with him. Because he was right. This was a nightmare. We shouldn't be in the same room as Jerry's lifeless body. Friends, God's design was not for Jerry to die in his 70s. It was not his design for little girls to die at 12 years old or really ever die at all. See, how many times have you ever read the book of Genesis? So resigned to the, to, to the idea that we all die. You read how long people lived and are just fascinated with, with how they could live so long rather than being grieved with how early they die. You see, under the rule of man, all will perish, all will die. The kingdom of man is broken, and the best it will render any of us is death. You can't stop it. It's coming. No matter how you try to whitewash it, we are not in a pandemic, we are in a syndemic of which there is no escape. It is not a matter of when we will fall. We have already fallen. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, our world provides the false illusion of hope that such passages are a lie. But without exception, our world leaves us desperate. This desperate father with nowhere else to turn for help remembers something. He remembers a carpenter. He remembers a man that so many seem to be following. He remembers a man that probably many of his associates had ridiculed. Many called this man teacher. He had done many amazing things, no doubt, including healing. And Jairus remembers, without regard for who he is, and makes his way to Jesus, this man of influence, this man of honor, this man of authority, a ruler of the synagogue, as our text says, sees Jesus and falls at his feet. Friends, in a shame and honor culture such as this, which sometimes we have a hard time grasping, you are not just guilty by doing bad things, you are guilty by associating with people who do bad things. So, Jairus, in the sight of the infamous Jesus, in front of a crowd of people, watching himself, the ruler of the Capernaum synagogue, they watch his posture of, out of desperation change instantly. What could cause such a response? Nothing short of a kingdom where sweet little children die. Which brings us to our second truth for this morning is that God's kingdom offers the solution for our brokenness. Now, no doubt 
God did not exactly mean that the child directly born from the womb of Eve would be the offspring that would defeat evil. But if you found it interesting that God could have easily solved the world's sin problem in the very next generation, but why didn't he? Sin continued to ravage generation after generation. Was God just not power, powerful enough to stop the conquest of the kingdom of man? Did he not care that generation after generation would die, that little sons and daughters would die, and that would very much still be prevalent today? Or was God doing something very different and possibly much bigger than all the men and women before Jairus' time really ever understood? Now, just track with me for just a minute here because what we do have to think through is that, you see, what this passage really does not reveal to us is that Jairus' literal change in posture also meant that he was placing saving faith in Jesus. And you might say, well, Ray, what do, you, what do you think you're talking about? You just built this case, uh, this man of influence now, and in almost the face of certain shame, throws himself at the feet of Jesus. That feels pretty real to me, but we must be careful because a desperate father of a dying child does not a Christian make. But what this text does reveal to us is that our world is broken. We are all desperately in need of of a better kingdom, a better king. You see, one thing all humanity shares together is brokenness. Even the false religions of the world are trying to solve the problem of brokenness. As plain as the masks on our faces, we can see brokenness. We can see destruction. Children die in our world. Wars ravage our societies. Sickness, disease, murder, on and on and on. Friends, under man's rule, we are in a desperate situation. Sin courses through our veins and from the inside out is killing us. So we come here before texts like this and they're heavy and they're weighty, um, but we come here for the purpose of being equipped, right? For the work of ministry, for going on from here and understanding and digesting these, these passages so that we be transformed and we can, we can connect people with the very same words that we're learning today. So have you ever struggled with finding ground with an unbeliever? Common ground. You see, our common ground, as this passage tells us, is the brokenness of this world. We can agree with every human, every man, woman, and child that the world, this world, is broken. So, what if God, in an act of mercy, would see generation after generation after ge generation and show us just how broken the kingdom of man was so that our eyes would be opened and that we just can't take it anymore? We're done with this kingdom. You see, Jairus may not have known exactly um, that it was Jesus alone that could be his Savior. He just knew that this world was broken and he knew he needed saving. He knew he needed some, someone else to fix his problem. And against the backdrop of the broken kingdom of man, God would reveal through his son just how broken the kingdom of man really was. And probably without full understanding, this caused this father to throw himself at the feet of Jesus, the true king of the true kingdom of God. Friends, we don't come to Christ 
and live as we always have. We live in Christ only because we have died to the kingdom of man. You see, Jesus died so that we could die. He lived so that we could live. Ashley, our sister this morning, uh, she got baptized. Friends, she taught us the gospel right in front of all of us. She, she discipled us. She discipled us in the ways of how she has died to the kingdom of man, symbolized through a complete burial under water. And she comes out of the water. Why? To symbolically show how she was raised through Jesus to a new life in himself. See, if you're not a Christian with, with us this morning, we just love you for being here. Um, we're so thankful that you've come and to share in listening to the Word of God with us. And Now, you might not agree with everything we're talking about, um, but we can agree together that our world is broken. In fact, that you actually may hear, be here today, excuse me, because of some brokenness in your own life. The struggle that you may be going through actually might not feel that different compared to this desperate father or the pain of Adam and Eve. You see, what Jairus might not have fully understood, but God so positioned him in the right place, is that all his effort, his influence, his honor, did nothing to help him defeat death. He needed another fix. He needed another Savior. He needed a king. You see, unbeknownst to him, he was going straight to the top. To solve his desperate need, there was only one place for him to turn, and God brought him to the right place. You see, where Christians and non-Christians differ is not that either of us lack brokenness. I think everyone in this room can attest that we sin every and sin and suffer every single day. However, the difference is, by God's grace, he is so revealed as Christians, how far we have actually fallen. And that for us, the best place to fall, the only place to fall, is at the feet of a king. A king that not only hears our problems, not only helps to solve our problems, but a king that actually becomes our problems. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was the promised offspring of Eve, friends, intentionally born of a virgin woman, Mary. His heel would be bruised by the serpent offering this offspring would, would bear, would be, excuse me, as this offspring would bear the stinging venom of evil for all of us in front of a fallen father's request to save his dying daughter, Jesus does the only thing we actually see him do in these verses. He simply goes with it. Which brings us to our final truth for this morning, is that God sends his own child to die for us. See, the story doesn't end here. Uh, the next two sermons that that Brandon's going to preach actually work in tandem together. So, so I pray that you find uh, the time to make your way out um, and, and find out exactly what happens uh, with Jairus' daughter. But remember, Jesus' or, or mission at this moment 
points to the trajectory of Jairus's daughter. Now, seemingly simple response, right? That Jesus kind of just moves in the direction that he's called. Um, but it's not like us, you know, just driving down the road and we see maybe the cheaper gas station and we just drive a little bit further than we did before, right? Jairus probably had little to no understanding what he was actually, who he was actually talking to, much less what he was actually asking Jesus to do. Jairus just was walk, asking Jesus to walk with him to heal his daughter, but in doing so was also asking him to reverse the entire course of human history to save his little girl. This request was more than Jesus just bebopping over to Jairus' place. It carried tremendous cost. You see... God would reveal a little bit more and a little bit more of his plan uh, to defeat the evil in this world. Um, Eve had no idea what God really meant uh, when he cursed the serpent. Um, but the words that Terry read uh, before uh, we started was that uh, Isaiah 50, that, that of Isaiah 53, verse 6, he says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Quite simply, my sin, your sin, Adam and Eve's sin, the kingdom of man, sin has broken this world so much so that only one person can fix it. All of the iniquity, all of the brokenness would saw, that, that would have to be laid on, it would have to be laid on the offspring, the king, the only one that it could fall on. Friends, the basics of the gospel message is that God would have to create a way within himself to solve the problem of evil. He would have to be your substitute. Because you see, Jesus himself is a child. The most important child. The most important offspring, in fact. For him to reverse the course of the kingdom of man there had to be payment made. There had to be a substitute. There had to be a king that would bear the iniquity of his sheep. See, God the Father was sending his own child to die. Imagine the pain of a father that could do nothing but look away from the cries of his dying son on a cross. Jesus knew that in order for him to help Jairus, to help all those who came before or after him, he would have to die so that we could live. God would have to send his innocent child in place for us. The curse placed upon the serpent that his head would be crushed by the offspring of the woman and the serpent would bruise his heel meant that the one would come. He would be born, born again of a virgin, not being past the sin of Adam. He would live the life that Cain and Abel and Seth could not live, a sinless life. He would have to die. He would bear the punishment for all of our sin and die at the hand of sinful men on a cross. But see, friends, this offspring, different than all those before him, would not remain dead. He would raise to a new life. And he would defeat the power of sin and death and, in fact, reverse the effects of the broken kingdom of man. 
the true king would reign, friends, and break the chains of sin and death. Jairus, as he walked with Jesus, walked with a king, the only one that could save his little girl, the only king, the only one who could fix his problem. He desperately needed Jesus to help him die to this kingdom of man and live in the kingdom of God. Made possible because Jesus was the child that had to die for you and for me. You see, the Bible makes clear all we have to do for God to reverse the effects of our sin, the only involvement we have, brothers and sisters, is faith. It means that we trust that this is true. Knowing that without Jesus we have fallen and are dead in our trespasses and there is no way out, but because of Jesus we can fall fall at the feet of a king. And through faith we can walk stride for stride with a king. And death will be nothing more than a memory been defeated by our Lord and Savior. You see, seemingly simple verses, but they reveal so much of God's care. The love the promise-keeping God that the offspring He was promising actually was the one, His own, excuse me, offspring, His most perfectly obedient Son, Jesus. And finally here, I love how the, Hebrew, the author of Hebrews says in chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, it says, Since therefore... The children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear and death were subject to lifelong slavery. Slavery, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Brothers and sisters, Jesus came to fulfill every single promise to a degree that we can't even imagine as a king that we might walk with him for all of eternity. So our text today hopefully gives us some things to walk away with. Some things that we can carry out into the world and help expose people to this very same, the very same truths that we've been given this morning. So some things to take away is number one, acknowledge that you're a sinner and are part of a broken system. Now, whether that's for the first time or 101st time, we are in a desperate situation. Jesus is your Savior, but you have to know that you need saving. If Jesus has saved you, live in constant, humble remembrance that you are a sinner saved by grace and take that message to the world. God simply revealed Himself to you by showing you the beauty of Jesus against the backdrop of the world's brokenness. 
Secondly, is the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, Jesus is the only way. He is the only one that we can go to. Please do not let the world, the system of the world, the system of the kingdom of man, any false religion die to you and tell you otherwise. There is only one unshakable kingdom, and that is the kingdom of God. Take this amazing opportunity to fall at the feet of a king. Repent of your sin, repent of your iniquity, and let it fall upon Christ. Lastly, walk knowing the price that was paid for you. You see, Jesus paid the highest price imaginable to purchase you. He paid with his own life for you. God the Father paid with his son for you. Even making simple requests require his life. So today, either place your faith in Jesus now for the first time and begin walking stride for stride with Christ. And now you might say that you don't really feel good enough for something like that. You've got to get them some things right before such a thing could actually take place. But let me tell you, for the king of everything to do what he did, none of us have any idea how sinful we actually are. But more importantly, because the king did what he did, we are far more loved than we ever thought possible. We do not have to let the broken kingdom of man lie to us and end any of us here because the kingdom of Jesus is the beginning, the beginning of an eternal walk with a king because, let's be honest, maybe even today, sometimes Christians, we get mixed up. We forget. Um, we forget that we are sons and daughters, heirs of the kingdom of God and an inheritance unimaginable is waiting for us in glory. Today, brothers and sisters, your king has come. And he's come to walk with you for all of eternity. All we have to do is have faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your wisdom. Father, I pray that we leave here transformed in a way that we had not been before coming in. Father, that we would take this message to the world. Father, knowing that it, you alone were the child, Father, given for us as a substitute. Our world is desperate. They need you. Help us live amongst this world, amongst this desperate situation, desperately sharing you with others. Father, as we respond in song, I pray that we sing these songs, these prayers together. Father, knowing what you've done for us, knowing that it is you alone that could come and save us, the true King, to right all of our wrongs and be the true King of the true kingdom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.